As you are able, please stand and take a copy of your scriptures. And if you would turn with me to our sermon text this morning, which is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, continuing our series on the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Dear congregation, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our present age is not altogether unlike the time of the Judges, in the book of Judges, when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No authority was recognized outside of one's own desires, wants, and opinions. Well, it's similar to our age now, isn't it? And has been for some time. We are reaping currently the consequences in our culture of the modern trope. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. For modern man, the the noblest virtue and the highest good for individuals is to do whatever they think is best. As long as one is doing what feels right to them in their heart, it must be not only good, but it must also be celebrated as the highest good. As long as a person is being true to what's in here, what's in their heart, it's to be celebrated, it's to be commended, regardless of the damage it does to society, their community, or as we are seeing, even their own bodies. Every day from media academia, Hollywood, and the highest halls of government, modern people are told, in more or less words, to follow their heart, to let it go, and do what is right in their own eyes. Now, such an anthropology might agree well with Elsa, but it cannot be found in the Bible. Biblically, the heart of man is called deceitful above all things and desperately wicked as the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9. That means left to itself, the heart of sinful man is like those of the pre-flood men. Every intent of its hearts, the thoughts of its heart, are only evil continually. Far from being trusted as the sole guide in life's decisions, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth even, the Lord says at that time in Genesis 8, 21. Rather than teaching us that if man just does what is right by his own heart, if he's just true to what is in here, then good will follow, our Lord actually tells us that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies in Matthew 15, 19. In other words, the heart of man is defiled and must be purified. It has been dirtied by sin and must be cleansed. The Bible nowhere tells us to follow our heart, but it does tell us our need for our hearts to be cleansed and purified. It does not commend to us a heart set on the idol of self, but it does commend to us a pure heart that is set upon God alone. And this is why Jesus says in this beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart. Because this is how man, as an image bearer of God Almighty, 
is supposed to be. He's to be pure in heart. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are faithful to their own hearts. But he says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Nor is Jesus here in this beatitude simply pronouncing a blessing on all those who are, who are morally, outwardly morally pure. They, they appear pure to others, like how we think of a, a Buddhist monk separated from the world. He's untainted, he's off, away from all people, all civilization, all temptation. No, the adjective pure here in the beatitude is modified by the prepositional phrase, in the heart. Just like in the first beatitude that we saw. It's not the, the poor, just a blanket blessing upon all poor people that Jesus gives in the first beatitude, but it's the poor in spirit who are blessed. So to hear, it's the pure in heart that are blessed. Now, Jesus is not denigrating or, or speaking down upon outward purity, moral outward purity, but this is not primarily what is in mind in this beatitude. As we shall see, hopefully, Heart purity and outward purity are to go hand in hand. But Jesus tells us that it is the pure in heart that are the blessed ones. Okay, so then what does it mean to be pure in heart? What is heart purity? We can turn to the Psalms of David here for help. God calls David a man after my own heart. We can see that in Acts 13, 22 and many other places. Surely a man after God's own heart has much to teach us about heart purity. Well, if we look at Psalm 24, a Psalm of David, it tells us that Yahweh is Lord over all the earth. He's Lord over all the inhabitants of the earth. He is the God of all men, but not all men can approach him. So David asks in verse 3 of Psalm 24, Who may ascend into the hill of Yahweh? Or who may stand in his holy place? That is, who may commune with God and worship? The answer is given in verse 4. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. What does that look like? That still doesn't get us any closer, does it? What does this look like? What is a pure heart? Well, following Hebrew poetic parallelism, the following clause tells us, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. The pure heart, in other words, is single-minded. It's single-purposed. Since God reigns as Lord of all, the pure in heart doesn't then set up an idol, a false god for worship. Because there's one true God over all, Yahweh. It worships him and him alone. It's single-minded, set on him. He who has a pure heart is not duplicitous or full of guile and deceit. He doesn't outwardly make an oath to God with his mouth while serving a false God in secret. Rather, the pure in heart is the one who lifts up both his hands and his heart to God bringing both in submission to God's will. He takes every thought of his heart captive to the obedience of God. This one, the psalmist says, David says in Psalm 24, will receive blessing from God. Also in Psalm 15, another psalm of David, David asks a similar question in verse 1. Yahweh, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? And a similar answer is given in the next verse. He says, he who walks uprightly, 
Now that word uprightly means devoutly, single-purposedly, not deviating one side or the other. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. The pure heart is honest. It's sincere in its devotion to God. The outward acts of religious devotion correlate to the inward state of the heart for the pure in heart. It's not putting on a show, in other words, and it's religious devotion to God. It doesn't merely recite words or perform actions outwardly while being inwardly set on other things. It does not go through the motions of religious duties just to get them out of the way or to impress men or even to appease God. It does not offer sacrifices of obedience to God so that God will just leave them alone and and let them do as they please to kind of get God off of their back. That is actually called in scripture double-mindedness. And the double-minded man, far from being blessed like the pure in heart, should not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, the apostle James says in chapter 1 verse 7 of his epistle. The pure in heart have an eye that is single. The Lord Jesus Christ says later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 22, their eye is single. Their actions and their inward affections toward God line up. What they do outwardly flows out of who they are inwardly. There is a sincerity to the pure in heart's righteousness. It's not faux righteousness. The pure heart loves what God loves, It hates what God hates, and it sincerely and honestly attempts to accomplish what he commands. In other words, the pure heart is a heart after God's own heart. This is what we find in David, who wrote these psalms. Shortly before David dies, David gathers all of the the people of Israel, and he, he, he brings all of their offerings to make the temple that his son Solomon will make in his lifetime, and then he blesses God in their presence, beseeching and, and asking God to test and to fortify their hearts under Solomon, his son. We see this in 1 Chronicles 29, 17 through 19, where we read, I know also, my God, says David praying, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Yahweh God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their hearts toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes, to do all these things, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. So we see David here is asking God to make Solomon his son, and the people of Israel, what? Pure in heart, upright, loyal, fixed toward God, obeying his commandments, his testimonies, and his statutes, accomplishing all of God's desires and precepts, and all of this willingly, not as mere outward show, not to check off religious checklists or to get God to go away, but truly from the heart, sincerely, to honor, please, and glorify him in loving gratitude. I think this is what heart purity is 
is. We can also understand by looking at negatively, the opposite of a pure heart. Where do we see the opposite of a pure heart? Well, it's found in the Pharisees. Remember, Matthew speaks, or Jesus speaks blessings over his disciples here in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, but he speaks woes over the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew chapter 23. The pure in heart here are blessed, but to the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus says this, Woe to you hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous before men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's the opposite of pure in heart. The Pharisees were considered righteous by the people. They were the, the religious leaders of the day. They were outwardly strict and exact in following Torah, even going so far as to add 600 man-made commandments to help them keep the law. The name Pharisee even comes from a root word that means to separate or, or to purify. But their righteousness, the righteousness of the Pharisees, was outward, and only outward, Jesus says. They appeared righteous before men. They were called pure. They were called the separated ones, separated unto God, but inwardly, they were full of all uncleanness and lawlessness. They, knew, they drew near to God with their mouths, and they honored him with their lips, by their outward purity, but their hearts were far from God, Jesus says in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. So as pure as they might keep their homes, their utensils, their clothing and body, by their man-made doctrines, their hearts were still unclean. Their righteousness, in other words, was a faux righteousness. Indeed, in reality, it was lawlessness and un righteousness. As Jesus says to them in Matthew 15, verse 6, he says, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. These are the ones who, the psalmist says, swear deceitfully and lift up their souls to an idol. They cannot ascend the hill of Yahweh, and therefore they are not the blessed ones. The impure heart does charitable deeds before men, to be seen by them. The pure heart does them in secret to be rewarded openly by God. The impure heart prays standing in the synagogue and the street corners to be seen by men. But the pure heart goes into the inner chamber of the house to pray to God in secret that he might openly reward. The impure heart fasts with a disfigured and sad countenance to be seen by men. The pure heart, on the other hand, anoints the head and washes the face so that only God may know about the fast, and then he shall reward them openly. That is true heart piety. It is fixed on God. It seeks first his kingdom and his righteousness, sincerely serving him from a loyal and loving heart of gratitude. We may ask then, 
How is the heart made pure? How does a man get a pure heart? How does one become pure in heart? The answer lies in the beatitude itself, by the blessing of God in his Son, our Savior, Christ Jesus, who says, blessed are the pure in heart. Recall, we've said this multiple times in our series, the Beatitudes are Christ's new creation blessings pronounced over his disciples. The disciples of Christ, believers, Christians, are made this way by, through, and in Jesus. In other words, to borrow from systematic theology, men are made pure in heart by the effectual calling of God in Christ, the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. We won't spend much time on this point, but it is worth noting and stating clearly, briefly. Men do not need to, slash cannot, make their hearts pure. Men don't need to, and they can't even do it if they needed to. They can't make their hearts pure. Only God can do this work. He does this by making a believer a new creation, by causing old things to pass away, and by making all things new, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. In this work, God, by his word and spirit, calls the believer out of a state of sin and death into grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He savingly enlightens their minds to understand the things of God. He re removes the heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh to understand the things of God. He renews and powerfully determines their wills toward that which is good. And he causes them to freely and willingly or sincerely embrace and rest on Jesus Christ alone for salvation. In other words, in the effectual call, in regeneration, God cleanses their hearts, which is another way you could render this beatitude. Blessed are the cleansed in heart. It is not blessed are those who make the effort to cleanse and purify their own hearts. If you have a Bible that says that, get a new one. But those who are pure in heart are the blessed of God. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. The heart is cleansed, purified by grace through faith in Christ. It is the work of God. The Old Testament parallel to this is heart circumcision, and that too was God's work. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, again, Moses coming to the end of his life, the people of Israel getting ready to, to go into the promised land under Joshua, and he says this in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, and Yahweh your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. When God circumcises their hearts, they will, up, they will walk uprightly. They will work righteousness, and they will speak truth in their hearts, as David says in Psalm 15. This was God's sovereign, gracious, and loving work in them. The famous passage in Ezekiel, speaking of the regeneration of the nation of Israel, can rightly and has rightly been applied to God's work of effectual call in each individual believer's life. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, we read, then I will sprinkle, this is God speaking to the nation of Israel, then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean, pure. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Their hearts were made pure by the blessing of God. We know that we can, we can wash our bodies and remove dirt. We can follow rules and live outwardly, at least to other people, by the appearance of men, we can live outwardly pure. But none of us can get at our hearts to cleanse them, to make them pure. Only the Holy Spirit can do this, purifying our hearts by faith, as we read in Acts 15, 9. At his appointed time, by his word and spirit, God makes us willing and able to receive his cleansing by giving us the gift of faith. We are made new. Our hearts are purified. And like the Apostle Paul, we now hate the evil that we once loved. We now love the good that we once hated, Romans chapter 7. This is God's work. By the proclamation of Christ as Lord and Savior, through his Spirit, turning the elect from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, as we read in Acts 26, 18. He makes them pure in heart. He has made us pure in heart. This is his work in us. The pure in heart are given a promise we see in this beatitude. They are promised that they shall see God. What does this mean? What does it mean to see God? God is a spirit. He's invisible. No one has seen him or can see him. Will God then change his being and take a, a, a physical form in the world to come so that the pure in heart can see him? Is that what's being taught here? Well, since God is immutable, since God is unchanging, this cannot be. And since, as Solomon says in 1 Kings 8, that even the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, a bodily form certainly cannot either. Therefore, this must be referring to something else. Now, I think that this is certainly applying to the sight of God that we believers, Christians, have in this life. I think it is applying to that, definitely. In this life, we see God by beholding God spiritually, with the eyes of faith, looking into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, communing with him in his word, sacraments, and in his church. But this is only to see God through a glass darkly. One day, we will see him face to face, as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, in what many have referred to as the beatific vision. That view of God in Christ, which believers shall have in the new Jerusalem. Concerning this blessed, sublime, and sweet sight of God, Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, said, quote, We shall with bodily eyes behold Jesus Christ, through whom the glory of God, his wisdom, holiness, and mercy shall shine forth to the soul. End quote. Now it's only believers who shall be granted this vision. Only the pure in heart shall see God. Those who have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Without holiness, as we read earlier, no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. On that day when he shall appear, the pure in heart who are called the sons of God by the Apostle John in 1 John 3 shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, 2. 
This text, I think, certainly applies to this. I think what Jesus says here in this beatitude applies to this, and we could say much more about it. But I think it also applies to something else. God is invisible, yet the Bible speaks of people and even of creation as seeing God. And it often speaks of people and creation seeing God in the context of God's providential works of redemption, salvation, and deliverance. God saw Ab- or Abraham saw God in Genesis 18 when he appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre to announce the coming birth of Isaac, the promised seed of the woman who would possess the gate of his enemies. After Jacob wrestled with the man at Peniel and obtained his blessing by faith, he said, I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Moses saw God in the burning bush when God came down to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, flowing with milk and honey. Joshua saw God before he gave Jericho into his hands. Gideon saw God before he delivered Israel from the Midianites and destroyed the altar to Baal. Manoah and his wife saw God when the angel of Yahweh, whose name was Wonderful, appeared to them and announced the birth of their son, Samson, who was the deliverer of Israel from her enemies. So Isaiah saw God high and lifted up when God commissioned him. Asaph, singing in remembrance of God's redemptive works, referring to the exodus out of Egypt, says this in Psalm 77. You have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were afraid. The depths also trembled. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It was not only the people of Israel who stood still and saw the salvation of Yahweh on that day, but also the creation saw God. There is therefore a sense in which we can say that seeing God is seeing him come in deliverance, in redemption, in salvation for his people. And this, of course, includes the final and eternal salvation, the beatific vision, when God delivers us from the bondage of sin and death fully and delivers us from the bondage to Satan fully and ushers us into the consummate new heavens and earth. It, of course, includes that. The pure in heart will see God in that way on that day. That is true. But I think there's also a temporal aspect to seeing God every day for the people of God. The pure in heart shall see God every day as he daily delivers them from all of their enemies, from sin, from Satan, and from the world by his spirit, who through him puts to death all that is sinful and carnal within them and raises them to newness of life in Christ as they are brought from glory to glory being further conformed to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Thus, this beatitude not only declares who we are in Christ, remember that's what they do, 
to declare who we are. We are the pure in heart as believers, as Christians, as covenant members. But it also exhorts us to further conformity to that reality. It also calls us to conform more to who we truly are in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The pure in heart must cultivate heart purity. We, the pure in heart, have the promise that we shall see God. We shall see him as he is. We shall see his glory as it shines in our hearts daily to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.6. And as we look upon the face of God in the person of Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18. That means that the more we set our gaze upon Christ, the more we shall be transformed, the more pure we become in heart, and the more we are cleansed, the more we are conformed to the image of his Son, as Paul says in Romans 8.29. By faith in Christ, we lay hold of gospel promises. As those who have these promises, we are to cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, 2 Corinthians 7.1. And without this holiness, we shall not see the Lord. We are made holy and purified further and further by drawing near to God, James says in James 4.8. The pure in heart are those who possess the hope of seeing God as he is in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, 3, that everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The pure in heart, we have been made pure by the gracious work of God alone. And now we desire, if we are truly pure in heart, because we are sincere and our love for God, and in our worship and devotion to Him, we now desire to live unto Him. We, we desire to be further purified. Their consciences have been cleansed from dead works. Our consciences have been cleansed from, cleansed from dead works by the blood of the spotless Christ, so that we might serve the living God, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 9, 14. Not that we can serve ourselves, we are therefore called to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith and consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Hebrews 10, 22 and 24. Our hearts have been made pure. Not to serve ourselves, not to serve our own desires, not to set up an idol in secret. Rather, since we have purified our souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, we are to love one another fervently with a pure heart, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 22. All this means is that we've not been saved in a vacuum. We've not been made pure in heart in a vacuum, but in community to live out our love to God from pure hearts in acts of love toward our neighbor, toward the brethren, toward his church, his bride. As believers, we are the pure in heart. We have been graciously made pure by God to be further purified, to be more fixed on God in true and sincere 
and honest devotion to him. We are therefore to advance in this purity, in devotion, in love, from glory to glory, by approaching God in his word and in his sacraments, by giving ourselves to works of love and gratitude, especially to the household of faith, and all this with a constant gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. This is the steady advance that the pure in heart are called to, to see God every day more clearly until they see him face to face. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we are thankful for thy son, Jesus Christ, that we have been given pure hearts in him, that we have been purified and cleansed from our sins, made spotless through the blood of Jesus Christ, the true sacrifice, the once and for all atonement for our sins, O Lord, and that we've been given thy spirit, that we might live purely before thee, that we might walk in holiness toward thee, that we might draw near to thee with pure and clean consciences and live out of a pure heart to the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of thy Spirit. O God, now as we turn to celebrate this sacrament which we have been given, O God, we ask, Lord, thou wouldst meet us in it, O Lord. Grant us faith, further cleanse and purify us. Help us to see thee in it, O Lord. And help us to see thee every day as the idols are continually toppled in our lives, as sin comes crushing down, O God and as we advance from glory to glory until that glorious day when we see thee face to face and resurrected bodies in the new heavens and the new earth. It's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen.